Amen. Well, how sweet the sound of saving grace. Amen. How sweet to, sweet to celebrate what Christ has done for us as we get prepared to go into God's word together uh, this evening. Well, if you haven't been with us so far, uh, we're, we're doing a, a six-week, kind of six-part uh, study looking at, uh, the title of it is Holy Habits, I believe. We've got it, got it right up there. And what we're doing this summer is we realize that summer's always a great time to kind of take stock of our lives. Sometimes our schedules are a little bit, a little bit more uh, flexible or relaxed, or we have time on vacation where it's good for us to kind of like look at our lives and look at the direction that God wants us to head in and to think about, hey, are there ways that we can pursue growing in Christ's likeness? Are there things that we can actually be a part of or, or take part in that are going to lead us to more and more holiness, right? That we know that God's desire for, for his people is that they would be like his son, that they would be like Jesus Christ. And so we just said, hey, let's, let's take six weeks this summer and look at six different ways that God has kind of prescribed in his word. Not necessarily the only six, but six of the, uh, the most important that we see in God's word to look at, hey, what, what does God want us to be pursuing and to take a, take a look at our lives and take stock of where we're at. And uh, we're praying that this series has been helpful uh, for you so far. If you've come so far, we've looked at uh, the holy habit of, of getting in God's word uh, Fred Sabins brought us through that our, our first week, and, and we just know that, hey, God's going to grow us as we, as we dive into his word, as we see him displayed, as we you know, go into the sanctuary, even as we talked about on Sunday, on a regular basis through his word. God is going to be in the process of transforming us through his word as we study it and apply it and pray about it together. We saw Adam Tyson uh, take us through the holy habit of prayer where uh, daily we need to be going to the Lord and, and expressing our dependence upon him. And I appreciated how Adam was encouraging us to pray large prayers, not, not to go for the kid-sized meal of prayer, but to, to go for the extra-large 44-ounce, no, 64-ounce, let's go big in prayer, saying, hey, we want God to do not just, not just meager things, not just ordinary things, but, but large things, not just so that we're comfortable, but so that he gets great honor and glory. And uh, last week we had uh, one of our own elders, Tyler Jacobs, uh, talk to us about the holy habit of just being a part of God's body in the church and the role that, that God has given each of us to play in our own growth, right? That if you're not connected on more than a surface level with other believers, right, you are missing out on a great means by which other believers can pray for you and can speak God's truth into, into your life. And so we're encouraged uh, that you're here. Uh, this Sunday, I, I hope that if, you, uh, if you're not a part of a grow group yet at, at Lakeside, that even this fall, as many of the grow groups kind of resume their, their normal meeting schedules, that you'll be excited and eager to participate in one of those. And we know it's, it's a, you know, usually on a, in an evening, you know, either on a Sunday night or, or sometime during the week, and that, that's a sacrifice. It takes, it takes some effort to, to be a part of that, and you might have to get to know some new folks that you don't already know. You might have to put yourself out of your comfort zone. But we just know that, I, and I can, I can give testimony of just the innumerable ways that God has used his people to speak his word into my life and just how blessed I've been as a result of that. So hope this series has been, has been good uh, so far and encouraging. And tonight I've been given the topic uh, that we should uh, think through and, and wrestle with together on evangelism, the holy habit of evangelism. So I was talking through, I, I'm, I'm blessed to work alongside in student ministries, one of our elders, Tim Kemright, and him and I, he's just a dear brother, uh, appreciate him so much. And so we were talking about kind of this message, and he had the idea that, hey, rather than talk about evangelism, let's just go do it. And so you know, I thought, hey, why don't we just uh, identify eight different places around Montgomery, not too far away from the church, where people are going to be, and they'll be willing to talk to, and we're going to split up into groups and go there right now, and then debrief. We're not actually going to do that, right? <laughs> Some of you guys, where your, start, your heart started palpitating a little bit uh, more more than normal. And I was like, man, that, that would be a good, a good idea, right? Because uh, a lot of times as we think about evangelism in the church, it's, it's something that we talk a lot about and know that we should do, 
but don't actually, don't, don't actually do it, right? And I don't even know if you, if you thought that we were actually going to do that, and we were actually going to ask you if you're a believer. If you're new, we were going to let you off the hook, right? But if you're a, you know, someone who regularly attends Lakeside and proclaims Christ, like, how did you feel about that? How would you feel about being asked to go right now at this very moment over to Chill or B and just sit down on a, you know, a leather chair next to someone else and start talking with them about Jesus Christ? How would you how would you feel about that? What was, was when we started seeing that, some of you guys, I saw that your eyes like lit up and you got excited and you're like, yes, let's do this thing. And others of you, I could see that kind of like look of terror and, you know, kind of like nervousness that, that could set in. And, and uh, you know, maybe some of you guys, you know, the, the thought of evangelism are you're like, oh man, I should have been absent on the evangelism night, right? I should have, uh, should have planned my vacation during during that week or, or, or something. Um, you know, and I think as, I, as I've looked back at my own life and as I interact with many in the church body, it, evangelism can be a, a subject that kind of makes us almost feel uncomfortable a little bit, right? Because we know we, we should do it, right? But a lot of us, as we look in our lives, it's not, it's not a habit that we have right now. Unlike, you know, usually most of us are going to church on a regular basis. Most of us are, you know, in some kind of routine of Bible reading and prayer, but many of us are, are uh, you know, evangelism is kind of an absent portion of, of our lives. It's there in our to-do list. Maybe it's nagging us as we kind of think about it every so often. Uh, and so we need to talk about it. And we need to talk about it because we need to grow as a church. I need to talk about it because I need to grow in my heart for the lost and in, and in my ability to speak the gospel, gospel clearly. And so... Um, Tonight we're gonna we're gonna try to try to look at this topic in, in a way that kind of helps us see the the largeness of it, but also will be very practical. So we're gonna see two observations and two examples about evangelism from God's uh, from God's word this evening. So if you didn't get a note sheet, there's you know papers in the back that you can take notes on if if you're uh, so inclined. There's also kind of a, a worksheet that I'll talk through a, a little bit a little bit later. Um, but as we look at evangelism as it's portrayed. In the Bible, right? Really, that uh, the, the Greek word for evangelism that's that's translated uh, is euangelizo, right? Which is basically a, a, a kind of a derivative form of euangelo, which is the gospel, right? The the good news, right? To to be an evangelist is to be someone who basically speaks the good news about Jesus Christ to others, right? And if we look at at the Bible, we can see you know many different examples of of those that have been gifted in evangelism. But I think probably the first thing that we need to realize and the first thing that you can write down on your notes tonight if you're taking notes is that God is an evangelist. Write that, write that down on your notes. A lot of times we think of evangelism as simply an activity that, that we're supposed to do, maybe a task that God has kind of delegated to us as his people a little bit. But if you go back all the way to the beginning, go back to Genesis chapter 3, we'll see that all throughout the, we won't have a chance to go to everything tonight, but throughout the New Testament, all the way from the beginning, all the way to the end, God is in the business of spreading good news, right? Even at the beginning, right, we know uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, kind of our God's account of how he created the world, and it, it, we don't get even into chapter 4 before we see uh, humankind and Adam and Eve turn away from God and turn away from God's goodness in their life. They turn away from him being the ruler and the authority in their life. And they say, no, we actually want to make our own decisions. We want to get to decide what is right and what is good for us, right? We think there's something actually more desirable than having unlimited face-to-face access to God. We kind of want this fruit that's hanging on the tree and the knowledge that's going to come as a result of that. And we see that account in chapter 3. But I don't know if you've noticed this before. Some scholars call this the proto-euangelion, right? If you're going to get fancy, just say that to someone else. They'll be impressed, right? But in Genesis 3.15, even as God is kind of like helping Adam and Eve see the consequences and the way that this world is going to fall into disrepair as a result of their sin, he says this uh, uh, to, to actually the, the, the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise 
his heel. Now that might not sound like much, but even there at the beginning, even as God's punishment for sin is beginning to be doled out for the very first first time, God preaches good news. I don't know if you've caught that, right? But that little phrase, even just that, that one little nugget there, right? That he talks to the serpent, right? Who is, who is Satan, right? Who is, who is actively trying to thwart God's plans and actually, actually uh, trying to subvert God's glory in this world. God predicts that there's going to be an offspring of the woman who's going to crush the serpent, right? Bruise him on the head, deal a crushing blow to Satan, while at the same time, Satan will be able to marginally injure the offspring, right? And we know if you've, if you've studied the Bible, you know who we're talking about there. That's Jesus Christ, right? That's the one who would come and would put to an end the work of the devil and the work of Satan and would be able to redeem the captives that Satan has led astray uh, from God's plan and God's will. So even right there at the beginning, we see, you know, as God's just beginning to unfold his character and his holiness and his hatred towards sin, he is at the same time eagerly wanting to unfold good news of redemption that's coming, right? Turn over to Genesis chapter 12, and we'll just see one more example of this, right? This is a familiar passage, if we're familiar with our Old Testament, right? God talking to Abram, who had become the infamous Father Abraham that many of our kids have sung about and spun around and sat down uh, to. Um, It says in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? Amen. Yeah, so basically that's a prediction that, that Abram at that point had no kids. Sarah was barren, right? Uh, uh, an impossible task even to conceive one child. And yet God is here and he's saying that, no, you're not just going to have a son. Your offspring are going to be innumerable. And that through the giving of your offspring, through you, right, in you, in your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. What's that talking about? It's talking about that through the line of Israel that God was beginning to create in his special people that he was calling for his own, right, through, through Abraham, really the first person in the nation of Israel, Right, the beginning, kind of the father of the nation of Israel, that through him was going to come eventually Jesus Christ. Right, that through Jesus Christ, salvation, God's redemption would be made available not just to the special people that God had chosen for his own of the nation of Israel, but to all the world. Right, that in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, all the families of the world are blessed because in Jesus Christ, redemption is extended and offered freely to all the families of the world, to every tribe every tongue, every, every nation, right? So this offspring that continues to be kind of foreshadowed all throughout, uh, all throughout the, the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. And we can see this uh, even a little bit more clearly in the New Testament. If you're familiar with Galatians chapter 3, I'll just read uh, verse 8 for us uh, real, real briefly. But in Galatians chapter 3, it's talking about this, this offspring of, of Abraham And it says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles or those who aren't a part of the nation of Israel by faith, preached the gospel, the good news, beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Right? That through through Jesus Christ, salvation was going to be extended to the Gentiles. Right? So we see that in the Old Testament, God is in the business of making good news known even as he uh, proclaims his holiness and his hatred of sin. He's in the business of foreshadowing a redeemer, one who's going to come and is going to put an end to the work of the devil so that sinners like you and me, many of whom are not ethnically a part of the, the nation of Israel, could, could be provided a way for us to be grafted in, could be provided a way for us to be adopted into God's family. And when this, when this offspring kind of finally comes to the earth, turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, we see 
that Jesus, right, the fullest manifestation, right, we see God most clearly as he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so we see that Jesus is in the business of preaching the good news, right? The foremost evangelist that the world has ever known is Jesus Christ himself. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, right? Proclaiming the good news, evangelizing the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, right? And Mark, kind of his first account of Jesus' ministry, says, hey, he's not, he's not here just to be a miracle worker. He's not here just to be doling out, you know, bread to everybody and, you know, McFish sandwiches and stuff like that. That's not what he's here to do. He's here to proclaim good news. He's here to proclaim that there's a redeemer, right? He's here to proclaim himself as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had said about the Messiah who has come. And look, look, even look further down in the chapter in verse 36 of chapter 1. You know, there's a, there's a point where Jesus has risen very early and his disciples are searching for him. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach, that I might proclaim, that I might share the good news there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now that's important for us to realize. And we could, we could you know, be here till the cows come home. You know, giving examples all throughout the Bible of how God wants to proclaim this good news about his son, Jesus Christ. And I think it's important for us to start there and to realize that, that God is in the business of doing that. Because a lot of times when we think about evangelism, we think about a weight that's on our shoulders, Right? We think about, oh man, this is such a big, important task, and who am I uh, to be able to do this? And, and maybe I, I don't feel very skilled or equipped, or you know, like maybe, maybe I'm just not a, an outgoing personality or, or, or whatever. But it's important for us to realize that evangelism isn't something that started with the early church. Right? Evangelism is something that started with God himself, that God is in the business of proclaiming the good news about his son, and we just get to enter into that with him. Right? It's not something that we have to start or we have to manufacture or we have to come up with some kind of strategy on how to do it. All we have to do is join God in what he's been doing since the very beginning, right? of proclaiming the good news about, about his son. So observation number one is that God is an evangelist. Right? God, is, God is the primary evangelist. Right? We're just delegated evangelists. We're just ones who are repeating the good news that he has already brought to us and to the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and through God's word that proclaims the good news about, about Jesus Christ. Right? And, and we see, though, that after Jesus Christ right, uh, accomplishes the work that God has sent him to do, right, dies for the sins of many, Arises again in conquering, conquering death and sin, dealing that, that fatal blow uh, to the serpent right there on the cross and in his, and in his resurrection, right? That, that then he gathers together a group, right? Then he gathers together people that, that he says, hey, it's not what's going to happen from now on is not me remaining here alive, right? But that God has chosen to glorify himself through that message that God has been proclaiming and Jesus was proclaiming, now being proclaimed through, through us, right? That, that God actually chose that rather than, than leave Jesus, you know, resurrected here on earth for everybody to look at and be able to see, oh, there he is. He's actually still alive. It has pleased the Lord that that message would be proclaimed through people. Right? That all the people that God brings to himself, all that those that he redeemed, he invites into his mission of proclaiming the good news to people. So the second, the second observation that we'll see is that all who God redeems, he calls into his mission of evangelism. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Right? Famous passage. We won't dwell on it for long, but we just want to kind of see the, the breadth of this. Matthew chapter 28. 19 and 20, if you've been in the church for a while, you have probably memorized this at some point. You've probably heard messages on this. Um, probably the foremost uh, 
passage on what we're supposed to be about as a, as a church body. And he writes in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age, right? That is, Jesus gathers his band of followers together right before he ascends into the Father. The mission that he gives them is the same mission that he has been on, right? Is the same, is the same purpose that God has been unfolding throughout the creation of the world, right? Since, since the fall, right, God has been in the business of proclaiming good news, and that's what Jesus tells his followers to do. Go and make disciples. Go and make other followers. Go and make other people who are going to hear this good news about Jesus Christ and repent from their sins and put their faith in Christ and are going to be followers of him who are going to make more followers of him. Right, go and make disciples. If you turn over to the, the book of Acts, kind of another account of the, the post-resurrection Jesus giving his marching orders, right? That, that we see Luke's account of, of, uh, of, this, of this time that kind of leads into his, his further account of the happenings of the early church and all that God did uh, through his spirit and through the church after the ascension of Jesus Christ, we see, you know, that, uh, that, that there's a time where, where the group of disciples are together, and Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, you will be my evangelists, you will be my gospel speakers in Jerusalem and, all, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them from their sight. Right? That as Jesus has his disciples, he's giving this charge to all of them. Right? To, to all of them. Right? He's saying, you, right, as my followers, you are going to be my witnesses. That's who I'm making you to be. Now, I think for us, we can tend to think that evangelism is a role for somebody else. Right? We can tend to think, oh, if there's a need for evangelism, let's get Pastor Ken to be there. Let's get me to be there. Let's get one of the elders to be there. Or, hey, if I'm not a part of kids camp or I'm not a part of the Good News Club on Tuesday afternoons with the kids here from Stewart Creek Elementary, I'm just a normal person, right? I, I, I don't have the role of being an evangelist. And I, I hope that we can see tonight, and I know that I, this has been something I've kind of said to myself you know, at certain points, is that, oh yeah, evangelism, I'll get to that later in, in my life. Maybe I know I should do that. Or I'm sure that there's someone else who's better than me at it, right? Which, I mean, there's, that's probably true. We've all got someone else who's better than us at, at evangelism. But we see that the mission that God has been on is the mission that he gives to all of his followers. It's not like, hey, you two or you three guys you're going to be the evangelists among this group, and the rest of you, you guys are just going to be a part of the functioning of the church. Right? He gives that mission of proclaiming the good news about his son to all of them. And he gives that mission to all of us who are, who are his, his followers. Right? And if we think about ourselves, right, not many of us are, are eloquent speakers. Not many of us are you know, overly persuasive people. Not many of us are like super highly intellectual to where we can just dance, you know, intellectual arguments around people in circles and in brilliant fashion. Not many of us are like that, but that's not who God called us to be. He called us to be witnesses, right? And I think God has given just ordinary people, right? Like you think about the disciples, that they're just fishermen, right? They're, they're not like these guys that are, you know, uber trained and, and everything like that. They're just normal people. They're just you know, people who worked everyday jobs, kind of like most of us, right? And he gave them this message, and he told them to proclaim it. And through that, he shows that the power is not actually in the people. The power is in the message, right? The power is in God and his spirit applying the message of the gospel to the hearts of people, right? And that's the mission. That's the message that he has given to you if you're a believer, right? God has given you the gospel. God has given you the role to play in this world as his witness. And I just want to encourage all of us to realize that that's not a mission that we can delegate to someone else. Right? That's not a mission that we can staff out 
to people who are paid to work here at, at Lakeside or deacons or you know, people on the counseling team, right? That's not a mission that, that if God has given that mission to you, he doesn't want you to give it away to someone else. And to realize that there are people that God has placed in your life that maybe nobody else from Lakeside Bible Church will interact with. Right? That there are people that God may be uniquely suited right, to be in a relationship with you, that live in the house next door to you, that work at, at your job. Right? And so all of us need to take uh, our role as a witness seriously. Right? We know that, that some people, right, as we see even the listing of spiritual gifts within the Bible, that some people are going to be uh, above and beyond gifted. In this area, right? And we don't, we can, you can probably think of someone that you know of who's gifted and just being able to make the gospel uh, clear and known, and they're able to do that powerfully, and maybe they're even freed up to do that uh, full time for their, for their job, right? There are some that are gifted, but all of us are called to that same, that same mission, right? So even if we don't feel like we particularly have the gift of evangelism to where that's going to be our full-time job and we're just going from place to place proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ, right? We still have a role even within just the course of our everyday normal lives where we're going, we're going to work and we're going to the gym and we're going to the supermarket and we're you know, going to the park and our kids are playing in sports activities and we're you know, sleeping in a house that's next to somebody else's house, right? Even just in the course of normal everyday life, God still wants us to fulfill our role as evangelists, as, as witnesses, right? And if, and if we think about this, right, this series is called Holy Habits, that we're wanting to be holy like God is holy. We're wanting to be set apart from sin. And what a better way for us to do that than to participate in something that God loves, right? And it's something that God himself participates in as a speaker of good news, as a proclaimer of good news to those who are who are far off, right? I love in Ephesians 3 how, how it talks about how it talks about God and it talks about Christ and it talks about him actually coming and preaching peace to those who are far off. Now it wasn't actually it wasn't actually Jesus Christ himself who visibly appeared to the Ephesians. He used a person to do this, right? But it was that person who was participating in the mission that God had been been from the beginning that brought the good news to the Ephesians and and brought them near. So, so two observations, right? Like nothing, nothing rocket science about this, but a good place for us to start to realize that God himself does this and to realize that God has given us that mission as well, to be people who speak the gospel to others. Now, as we think about this, let's, let's think for the rest of our time on, on how we do this. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at two examples, right? And I don't know if, as you've thought about evangelism, maybe, maybe you, you think of people who are very gifted at it, right? I know some of you guys are familiar with a guy named Ray Comfort. I was actually watching a, a video on YouTube of him uh, recently where he starts off and he's interviewing people, you know, in Huntington Beach, California, along the pier there, and, you know, they're all kind of crazy looking and stuff like that. And he starts asking them about the Nazis, right? I mean, that's a great conversation starter right there, you know, like, let me go up to you and ask you a conversation about who's, do you know who Adolf Hitler is? Like, how, how in the world, you know? Like, and he starts off there, and pretty soon he's talking with them about abortion, and pretty soon he's getting to the gospel. And I remember watching that video for the first time about a year ago and thinking, like, who is sufficient for these things? Like, how do you start a conversation with Adolf Hitler and end up proclaiming the gospel to someone? Like, how, how does one do this, right? And I can remember, like, walking away from that, like, being encouraged at this guy's giftedness and his ability to just interact with people and to, to turn a conversation towards the gospel and to ask people, like, questions that really get them to think. And I remember thinking, like, man, that's not something that I can do, right? And, and I know that for, for many of you, maybe you look at, like, outstanding examples of evangelism and you think, well, if that's what evangelism is, I, I can't do that. And I, I want to show you guys uh, tonight just two examples. First one, turn to Acts chapter 4. Two examples as we see evangelism happening within the Bible that uh, are not beyond us, right? That are not, um, are not only the realm of exceptionally gifted people in exceptional times doing exceptional things. They're accounts of people who are uh, quite ordinary, Right? People, people who are not too different from you and me, right? People who have just been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ 
doing evangelism. And the first one that we see is a group. In Acts chapter 4, we see the early the early church. So our first example is, is the early church. And we see that you know, right at the beginning as you know, amazing things are happening, Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel. Uh, lots of people are getting saved. And it's not far after that that per- persecution comes. Persecution comes right after that. And so Peter and John are in prison and then they get released. And we see in verse 23 that when they were they released, they went to their friends. Right? They went to their church. They went to their fellow Fellow believers, right? Not all apostles, not all, you know, the, the people that we read about, nameless people, ordinary people, people like you and me, right? And reported that what the chief priests and elders had said, right? That they had said, hey, don't preach this Jesus anymore. Don't proclaim this good news that you're, you're proclaiming. And then it says, when they heard that, they, as a group, lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit Jesus, right? And we see an example that before even this early church, his persecution is starting to arise and they're starting to freak out and they're starting to realize, hey, this is going to be really hard. What do they do together as a group? They pray. They pray. So write this down. The example of the early church was one of prayer, that they were gathering together and praying and they were praying specifically about the topic of evangelism. Right? They were praying specifically about the topic of evangelism. And in verse 31, we see what happens as a result. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We see here in this passage, right? This is everyone. They were all filled. All of them were speaking the word with boldness. Not just the apostles, not just the leaders. Every single person in the early church took their role as a witness seriously. And because they took their role as a witness seriously, they prayed for God's help, right? They knew that in and of themselves, they were going to be weak, right? They were going to tend to fear. They were going to tend to lose lose heart. And they knew that unless they were asking God to help them and to grant them boldness, that they weren't going to continue faithfully as a witness. And so we, right, we can follow their example by gathering together and praying. All right, praying for boldness, right? Do you, do you need boldness? Maybe some of you don't need boldness. You've got all that you need. I need boldness, right? Like I, I need the Lord to give me power and commitment and, and a resolve to preach the gospel when there's a lot of times I want to kind of take the chicken ramp. You know, if you've been to like a roller coaster, like usually somewhere towards the top, they've got the chicken ramp that when you get up high and you kind of start seeing uh, well, we're up high a little bit. There's this little stairway that you can kind of chicken out and walk down on, right? Like, how many of you have taken the chicken route out of an evangelism opportunity in the past, right? Like, we've all, we've all been there. We need boldness. We need boldness. They needed boldness, and we continue to need it each and every day. And the example of the early churches, they gathered and prayed together about it. So uh, let's ask ourselves, are we doing that? We, we gather together, and this may be on Wednesday nights one of the only times that we get together as a, as a church body collectively and pray, right? We pray, you know, on Sunday mornings. We're led by someone up in, in the front, and hopefully all of you are uniting your hearts together with the person who's doing the speaking, right, and asking God for those same those same things, but I think it would be a good idea, even particularly for grow groups, right? If you're a grow group leader, if you're a participant in a grow group, that we should be regularly in small groups 
praying for boldness, right? That even as a, as a grow group, maybe you've kind of selected a group of people in this area, right? Maybe a, a group of people who live around you, if you kind of live in the same area as your grow group. Or maybe you say, hey, we're all going to get our kids together on this sports team. I know there's a number of families that add their kids on the same sports team, and they're trying to evangelize to the other people, the other parents, Right? And, there, and that would be a good thing, that getting together as a grow group, we're praying for boldness. Hey, we got, we got soccer practice coming up tonight. Make us bold to actually you know, get up out of our lawn chair and walk over to that other person and start a conversation and pray that God would give us the boldness to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. Praying for boldness. And then they did it. Right? They didn't just pray about it or talk about it or listen to sermons about it. They went out. They went out and did it. They went out. And did it, right? They, they prayed about it, and they did it. And it was, it was all of them, right? And so one other thing for us to ask ourselves, are, are we doing it, right? Now, when we say, are we doing evangelism, like, don't expect that we're going to start some program, right? It doesn't, it, this isn't a program that they're being a part of. This is just all of them living their lives as witnesses, right? It's not like, hey, we're going to go witnessing. They're saying we're going to be witnesses, that Christ has made us witnesses, and so we're going to act like witnesses. Witnessing is, is not an activity uh, to them. Turn uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for our second example, and we'll spend the rest of our time here looking at the, looking at the apostle Paul, right? And I, I, uh, we've been studying through the book of 1 Thessalonians with the college students on Sunday nights at at our house, and this has just become a dear, a dear book to me. But I thought it'd be helpful even as we see what Paul talks about here tonight, because you, you think about in the book of Acts, you think about all of these, you know, miraculous times and times where, uh, you know, like just amazing things happen. And I wonder if like Paul's time in Thessalonica is one of the most unremarkable times that's, that's depicted in the book of Acts. Actually, so, so just before we actually go there, keep your, your finger in First Thessalonians and uh, turn back to Acts 17 with me, or, or just listen as I read in verse 1 of Acts 17. Yeah, you're going to be flipping in your Bibles tonight a little bit. Acts 17, verse 1, which says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, just doing what, we had, what he had done before, nothing revolutionary, no you know, groundbreaking new strategy here, Paul went in, and, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, right? He just talked to them about the Bible, right? He told them what God has said uh, in his word, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, right? Not a very elaborate message, pretty, pretty straightforward Jesus is the Christ, right? You who know the Old Testament, Jesus is the one that he's talking about. Jesus is the one in Genesis 3. Jesus is the one in Genesis 12, right? Jesus is the one that's pictured by all the sacrifices. It's Jesus. This is the guy I'm telling you about, right? Nothing, nothing revolutionary in that message. And it says in verse 4, and some of, some of them, right? So not like amazing, like two, 3,000 people like the day of Pentecost, some, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, right? Which we don't know how many devout Greeks and leading women there were in the city, so it seems like a good number of them, but we don't know how large that population was, so probably, probably not super extensive. Um, but it says in verse 5, the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason where they think these guys are staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also and Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Right? So even as you look at that, that's a pretty unremarkable account. Right? Some. Few weeks. Right? He's there three Sabbath days, so, so probably no more than a month or two. Paul's there. Not like three years that he's in Ephesus. Pretty unremarkable account. But yet, Paul, as he uh, is recounting his experience to the Thessalonians in his letter to them in chapter 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
Right? It might have been like easy for Paul to kind of compare this stop to other stops on his missionary journey and been like, yeah, Thessalonica, kind of a bust. Wasn't able to stay there for too long. Those Bereans, they searched the scriptures a little bit better. Maybe, maybe I'm more excited about them. But he says, our coming to you was not in vain. So one thing we can learn from Paul's example is that sharing the gospel is not in vain. Right? Write, that, write that down if you're taking notes. That sharing the gospel, right? Paul could have looked at this as kind of a, a bummer of a, of, a, of, a, of a results, if he was looking at the results of it, that it says only some. Some believe they ran him out of town pretty quick. He didn't have time to, to, to do all that he probably wanted to do with the Thessalonians. But he says, our coming to you is not in vain. Why is that? Look at what Paul says even before this in chapter 1. Look at, look at verse 8. As he's talking about the Thessalonians, he says, For not only has the word of the Lord, of the Lord sounded forth from you, Right, that even just after a few weeks of, of proclaiming the good news to the Thessalonians, that it had caught hold so much over their heart that they had been changed and made into witnesses who were now witnessing. Right, that the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. So all over the surrounding regions, right, these people that Paul had just kind of given a simple, you know, as was his custom kind of, kind of presentation to, that the word of the Lord is exploding from them, and it says, you know, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. The gospel's going out, and everybody's talking about your faith in God, right? So that he says, verse nine: For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception uh, that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the from the wrath to come. For you know yourselves, brothers, our coming to you was not. In vain, right? Like, we've got to remember, I think a lot of times we get discouraged from evangelism because we don't think it's actually going to work, right? I, I mean, isn't that one of the biggest reasons why we don't do it is we don't actually think this is going to actually have any good results, right? And maybe some of us, we've shared the gospel and we've been rejected in the past, right? And I wonder if Paul even kind of left Thessalonica feeling kind of down, feeling kind of like, well, was that a waste of a month? It was that a waste of uh, you know, my, my time there? And, and we can think the same thing. But as long as we are being faithful to the role that God has given us as witnesses, it's never a waste. And we don't know all that God is going to do, right? We don't know the person that you might just bump into and maybe you don't even have regular contact with them and you start sharing the gospel with them and they get saved and then they're on fire for Jesus Christ and they're eager to talk about Jesus Christ and to spread the good news that they know to everyone around them, right? You don't know, even, even in a, a, an off, offbeat kind of like random opportunity that you have to speak the gospel to someone what God is going to do through the gospel going forth, right? God might take even just regular, ordinary, everyday efforts that we have to make him known and multiply them for his glory, right? The gospel works. Sharing the gospel is not in vain. Even if you get rejected by most people, right? Even if one person gets to be saved, right? As a result of us preaching the good news and making that known, right? Isn't that worth it, right? Isn't that worth like seeing someone go from death to life to where their eternal destiny is changed forever. Not sure that all will be saved, right? But God has promised to save sinners. And so we can enter into that with confidence, proclaim the message that he's given us, and, and expect that God is going to use it to accomplish his, his purposes, right? So the first thing we see, right, as he says, hey, our coming to you was not in vain, right? It's never a vain attempt. It's never, it's never wasted time when we're making the good news about Jesus Christ known to other people, right? The next thing, look at what he says in verse 2. He says, For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, right? So Paul comes to Thessalonica after he's just been in Philippi. And if you're familiar with the account in Acts 16 of Philippi, it's like they're beaten and thrown in jail and they're there, and then God opens all the, all the stocks, and they could get their get-out-of-jail-free card, but yet they stay because they're going to evangelize the Philippian jailer, and he and all of his household get, get saved, and then they basically you know, apologize to them, and they run them out of town. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but if that had happened to me, and I'm going to the next city, I'm looking for some R and R. Right? I'm looking for, hey, I just got beat up and imprisoned falsely. Like Thessalonica is this sweet city on kind of the coast, in, in Greece there, I'm looking for some, like, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some Instagrams while I'm here and just you know, relax a little bit and everything. But, but Paul says, uh, Paul says you know, even though this had just happened, even though we just came from a place where we were shamefully treated, we had boldness to proclaim to you the gospel of God. I think the second thing that we can see from Paul's example is that Paul made evangelism a lifestyle and not an activity. Right? It wasn't like, okay, when I'm in Philippi, I'm going to go through the activity of sharing the gospel and now that I got beat up there and I got run out of town, I'm going I'm to take a break from that activity for a while and do some different activities. Right? That's not the way Paul thought about the gospel and, and his role as a witness. And I don't think that's the way God wants us to think about the gospel or our role as a witness. That, hey, when I go on the Uganda mission trip, I'll proclaim the gospel then. But until I go on another mission trip, I'm going to be doing different activities. Right? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be about sharing the gospel. Or, or if we were to have an event where we're going door to door, if we go to Honduras, that's the time for the activity of sharing the gospel. But right when I'm in the middle of my normal life and I'm busy and I've got things to do and I've got places to go and people to see and you know, hands to shake and whatever, um, I'm not going to do the activity of sharing the gospel. Evangelism is not an activity. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a calling. Right? It's, it's who we've been made to be in Jesus Christ, right? And I, I think it's a good thing for us to think through, right, as we say, okay, do we do evangelism in, in our life, right? Are we in the process of speaking God's truth to other people? Are, are we just too busy, right? And it's just one of among many activities. And because we've got, you know, something going on with our family or, you know, we're just too busy, we've got too many things going on, or we've got too many other responsibilities, or maybe, you know, there's not an easy program that the church has kind of constructed that, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be a part of, of speaking the gospel to other, to other people. Right? You don't have to wait, wait for a program. You don't have to wait for us to announce someday, hey, we're going to do this evangelism program. Make it your lifestyle. Right? Make it just what you do. Right? When, when you're out at you know, a sporting event, hey, I'm a witness. When you're at work, I'm a, I'm a witness. When you're in your neighborhood, I, I, I'm a witness. That's just the way I live my life rather than an activity that I do. The next thing that we see is he said we had boldness in verse 2 in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Write this down is that we can realize from Paul's example, groundbreaking, mind-blowing, Paul declared the gospel. Radical, right? Whoa. He actually said the good news, right? And we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the message about Jesus Christ, right? That, that all of us have fallen away from the Lord like Adam and Eve did and we're separated from God because of our sin and there's no way that we can be made right with God because of our sin. But God himself solved that problem through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and to die the death that would take our punishment so that we could be made a part of his family and be brought back into relationship with him if we're willing to repent and believe. Uh, Paul, he declared the gospel. Right? I think a lot of times we get hung up and are unwilling to do evangelism because we feel like we've got to, we've got to proclaim something else. Right? We feel like we've got to be ready and able to you know, beat any would-be atheist at you know, an argument on the existence of God. Right? Or we, we feel like we've got to be able to, in detail, defend you know, the reliability of the historic manuscripts and the Codex Sinaiticus and you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that, or you know, we've got to be be you know so scientifically advanced in our knowledge that we can you know dismantle any proclamation of evolution, right? Like we've got to be ready to give an, a give a defense for our faith. We've got to be you know informed about what the Bible says so that we can be helpful and other people understanding it. But Paul didn't go there, you know, trying to trying to you know you know debunk evolution. He didn't go there to argue. With people, what he went there is to proclaim the good news, right? And so even if you don't feel like you're equipped yet to be able to, you know, have a, a really helpful and intelligent discussion about evolution or about the reliability of the, the manuscripts of the Bible or, or about, you know, abortion or, or whatever, whatever it is, realize that that's not the main thing that God wants you to proclaim. That's not the main thing that Paul was proclaiming, right? He probably had many discussions about many things, but the overarching theme of his message that he wanted to declare was the gospel, 
right? So if you get into a conversation with someone, maybe, maybe someone finds out that you're a Christian and they you know, are aware of like, oh, you're probably one of those Chick-fil-A Hobby Lobby pro-life people, right, out there, right? And you can tell that right off the bat, right off the bat, they just want to fight with you, right? They just, want to, they just want to argue, right? I remember talking with one girl at our last church that a friend had brought to our college ministry who was a lesbian, and, and you could tell she just wanted to pick a fight with me. You could tell, like, she, she just wanted me to say, I hate lesbians, right? And, and, and that so that she could be, feel justified in her hatred of the Lord. And, and, I, and by God's grace, uh, I was preaching on this same thing, and so I just, I just said, hey, you know, I'd love to talk with you about that, but, but really I'd, I'd first like to tell you what, what kind of the main message of the Bible is. What, is it all right? Can I, can I share that with you? Yes. Right? You ask someone, hey, can I share with you what the main message of the Bible is all about? Like most people are going to say yes to that, right? And once you've shared the gospel, that's the context in which conversations about evolution, abortion, the reliability of the Bible, that's the context, that's the umbrella under which conversations like that are, are going to be able to be successful, right? Because they've got the whole picture. And when they, when they walk away from their conversation with you, they've heard the gospel, not just an argument in defense of creationism, right? So not to say that we shouldn't be having those conversations, but the main thing, the highlight, the forefront needs to be not all of these important but uh, subsidiary issues to the main, the main message of the gospel, right? So what we need to proclaim is the gospel. Next thing we see Verse 3, for our appeal does not, not spring from error or impurity or any attempt uh, to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Right? Next thing we see from Paul's example is that Paul lived who he was. Paul lived who he was. He says, hey, we're not coming here trying to deceive people or trying to, you know, just flatter people into the kingdom. We're not trying to schmooze. We're not trying to be a, a huckster of the, of the gospel. We're just coming as people that God has approved, right? And, and if you think about Paul's testimony, right, Paul was not approved to speak the gospel until he met Jesus Christ himself, right? That was the point at which God had set his stamp of approval upon Paul, right? That Paul, that Paul, you know, became Paul, right? From Saul, right? That he became a new person in Jesus Christ, right? He's saying, hey, the, the only reason I'm here is that's who God has made me to be, right? God totally changed my life. He took me from a person that was persecuting the church, that hated God, and he made me new. He set his seal, his seal of approval on me because of his son, Jesus Christ, and then he entrusted me with this message, he entrusted me with the gospel. That's how we speak. Just as, just as people that God has changed. Just as people that God has given a message to proclaim, right? So even, even if your you know, ability to share the gospel just starts with your own testimony, right? That's a great place to start, right? That's a great place to say, hey, hey I'm, not, I'm not this amazing preacher person, right, who, who's going to be all theological in everything that I say. I'm just a person that God has changed and God has given a message to proclaim, right? And this message is deep that, that, you know, scholars can spend their whole lives studying it and still not exhaust it, but yet it's so simple that we can proclaim it to kids at kids' camp, right? And so realize that, it, you know, if you're a Christian, you're someone that God has set his seal of approval on because of his son, Jesus Christ, and you're a person that has been entrusted with the good news about Jesus Christ. If you knew the gospel well enough for it to save you, you should know the gospel well enough just to simply explain it and proclaim it to another person. The last, the last thing that we see, and we could see more, but the last thing that we'll see in verse uh, 5 is, it says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We weren't trying to just get money from you. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And back in verse 4, he says, So we speak not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Right? The last thing that we see from Paul's example is that he spoke with a motivation just to honor the Lord, just to glorify the Lord. 
right? He, he didn't speak as like, man, I want to get a bunch of notches on my, you know, spiritual belt loop of, you know, people that I've, you know, gunslung into the kingdom or, or, or whatever, right? He's just like, man, I, I just want God to be glorified. I, I just want God to be pleased. I just want God to, to see me as a person that he is approved, he's changed, he's entrusted with the gospel, and that is living just to serve him is living just to make him known that my life is completely about him, right? If I were trying to please people, I would change my methods and change my message to try to tickle people's ears so that, hey, I'm not getting run out of every town that I I come to, that people are liking me, and I've got the Paul parade, you know, in, in each town that I go to. But he says, that's not what I'm about. I'm not here to please men. I'm not here to tell people just what they want to hear. I'm here as someone who's been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So I hope that even tonight that, that the need to share the gospel is, is refreshed for you. That there are people that, that God has put in your life, in your sphere of influence, right? In your neighborhood who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those people already go to church, right? Some of them are going to the proverbial synagogue of Montgomery County every Sunday, right? They still need to be engaged with the gospel. Some of them you know, don't, don't know the Lord at all, and you'd never expect to see them get saved, like Saul, right? And so I hope that need has been refreshed, and I hope that, I hope that you're excited, right? That, that you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be eloquent. All you have to do is know the gospel and realize that it's your role to share it and to proclaim it and to make it known to someone else. Now, I, I realize, like, one of the hard things about this series, it's like, hey, we could do a 10-week you know, kind of thing. You know, we'll just pause the summer super study, and for the next 10 weeks, we're just going to talk evangelism here. I'm taking over for, for a little bit, right? Then we're not able to say all that we're going to say, and we're praying. Uh, us as pastors and elders are praying for Lakeside that we would grow in our evangelism, and we're planning on, hopefully this fall, doing a series where we even go more in depth about this, but that doesn't mean we have to wait for that, right? If, if you know the gospel enough to get saved, you know the gospel enough to share it with someone else. So what I, what I decided to do, and I hope that, that maybe you'll, I can't even find that right now, but on the back table, there's kind of a, a witness checkup, right? As, as, we, as we come to a time where we're hearing about, hearing about evangelism, here we go. It's right here. It's got some blanks on it. Maybe just take one of these home and sometime over the next couple of days, like sit and think about, think about your role as a witness. How are you doing in the role that God has given you? Like, have you actually shared the gospel with someone? And if so, when was the last time that happened? Was it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five, five years ago, right? It's not, evangelism is not our lifestyle if it's something we did way back when, never to be, never to be repeated, right? And as you, as you think about that, we're going to think through, hey, what are some of the things that maybe make me want to take the chicken ramp? of the gospel, right? That maybe there's that person I know, like, I should go talk to them, and I find some kind of excuse uh, to justify not, not doing it. Let, we'll, we'll think through, think through, hey, what maybe are some of those reasons, and what, what might God want me to be doing about that? If I'm afraid of what people are thinking of me, like, what kind of study am I doing to get over my fear of man and replace that with the fear of the Lord, right? If, if, I, if I'm not talking to other people because I don't know what to say, who am I going to and asking for help and knowing what to say, right? Knowing how to present the gospel. Like who, who at Lakeside am I saying, hey, could you come alongside and help me? I feel like I don't really know how to share the gospel very well. Could you, could you help equip me in, in how, to, how to do that, right? Actually, on the last, I think it'd be a helpful thing for all of us, right? Maybe even just on the back side of this sheet of paper, like, you know, over the next few days to think through, okay, if someone gave you three or four minutes of their time and asked you to explain the gospel to them and said, I'm going to give you my undivided attention, what would you say? Like, are, are you ready to do that on a moment's notice when that opportunity, when that opportunity arises? And I, I hope we bring all this because I know that, that, that often the things that keep us from evangelism, through doing evangelism, God will overcome our fear of those things, right? Our fear of people, one of the best ways you can get over that is to talk to them about the gospel, right? That through that, God's going to fill you with boldness and confidence, right? If you, if you struggle with knowing what to say, actually practicing it will help you to refine that, right? So I, I, my encouragement to you would be to not wait until we start a program, but this week, pray for boldness. Maybe even grab a few other friends here tonight before you go, and, and, and let's, let's see what God does through ordinary people like us bringing an extraordinary message 
about Jesus Christ and what he's, what he's done for us. Let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, we thank you, God, that, um, that you are good. Lord, that even though we have all turned aside from you to sin, Lord, we have rejected you, each and every one of us. God, that you didn't leave us there. That you didn't leave us uh, to wait for your wrath. But God, you sent your son, Lord. You proclaimed good news. You, you all throughout the Old Testament prepared your people to be waiting and longing for the offspring who would come. Lord, for the descendant of Abraham who is going to come as the Messiah to save your people from their sins. And God, we know that you've done that through Jesus Christ. Lord, that you yourself came down in the form of a man and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved. Lord, so that we could be brought to you, Lord. And it just gives me such joy, God, to gather with this group of believers and to sing how sweet the sound of saving grace together. Lord, because there's so many of us that you have brought to yourself and that you have saved and you have redeemed and you have approved and you have entrusted with the gospel. So God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to our role as your witnesses here in the ends of the earth in Montgomery County, Texas. Lord, so that your name would be known, so that, Lord, you would receive great glory and that you would be pleased with us, your servants. God, that's who, that's who we are. And so, God, we want to grow in this area. God, we, we need you to, to shake us and, and uh, we need you to, to shape us. And so, God, we pray that you would even do that as a result of our time together tonight.